So we go to uh, Philippians, the uh, prison letter of Paul in the New Testament, if you want to bring it up on your phone or look it up in your Bible in your hand. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, very famous verse, at least in my opinion it's a famous verse. And here's what Paul says, I'm reading out of the New Revised Standard. Uh, Here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12, 13, and 14. He's beginning his letter, and he says this. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the progress of the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. Here we have Paul uh, talking, uh, writing this letter from his imprisonment, and he's talking about his that it's gone. The word has gone out to the guards and to the whole imperial palace and whatever else is going on there, and and the word's going out, and he's saying this is a positive that he's in prison. That his imprisonment is actually furthering the gospel. So in March of 2003. 20 years ago, on a Sunday night, I walked into a meeting with the elders, and I handed out this to each one of them, a length of chain. I still have mine, and I believe they still have theirs, those who had it. And I was preaching to the letter of the Apostle Paul called Philippians at the time, and Paul wrote this letter to uh, the church in Philippi, not some nice 21st century prison, of course, but a dungeon bound by chains and shackles, no food, no sunlight, no toilet, no running water, of course, no breaks, no rights. And yet this letter is one of the most positive, uplifting, and hopeful letters in the entire Bible. There's nothing really negative in it. No chastising the people in Philippi or anything like that. And Paul's in prison. <laughs> that night with the elders as I handed out these lengths of chain. I told them, keep it with them for the next few months. Hang on to it, maybe for the next few years. Put it on your dash, hook it to your chair, your office chair, your desk chair. Put it in your backpack or your briefcase. Why? Because the next few years are going to get really tough and we're going to need Paul for our inspiration. I told the elders, You're going to need this legacy of Paul's chains because we're about to take a huge step at Lakeland. We're going to lead this church to purchase our own facility. And at that moment, we could not imagine what it would be like that all of us may very well just take for granted right here and now in this very moment. This facility. The elders got on their knees that night and they prayed for God's will to be done that we wouldn't mess things up. And we prayed we'd be fully obedient to God's leading during this time. And since we had no idea about how to go about doing, buying a building or anything like that and planning a financial challenge to our little church, something of this magnitude, we hired a stewardship consultant called Enjoy Stewardship Services. The consulting fee was $35,000, which was actually cheap compared to all the other bids that we got. And 
that night, uh, or not that night, but that week, then the elders made their first move on this thing, and they all wrote checks to cover the $35,000. And by the end of that year of 2003, Lakeland was in its first financial challenge entirely so we could have our own church building. You see, from October 1996, when we started, we had been portable. Every Sunday, anything we wanted to do either happened in people's homes or rented facilities. And um, we were this portable church. Set everything up. I got up at 4.20 in the morning, 4.21 in the morning. And um, we moved everything into a movie theater, taking it all down and packing it all up and being out of the theater by 1 o'clock. Now, we knew that, you know, it was a ton of work, of course, and we knew instinctually, like, we're not really a fully orbed church. A lot of our energy goes into this whole portable thing. And we wanted, we knew the gospel was more than just setting up and tearing down church on a Sunday. It felt like we were doing church one day a week, even though we had small groups all during the week and so forth. And so, you know, we, we couldn't do much about the poor. We tried to help out in the inner city when we could. We did Habitat for Humanity when we could on a Saturday morning. We did some work in Jamaica, believe it or not, way back then, and uh, helping out a third world situation. But the truth is, we were really just a one-trick pony church. We did Sunday. Everything else was sort of a stretch. And we needed to get past this portable church phase so we could become a force for good. So we could do church 24-7 and be the people to, uh, people to be reckoned with. And really take seriously what it means to reach out to those who do not believe Christians or church have anything to offer. Which I think Lakeland's always excelled at. With Paul's change to inspire us, it didn't take too long for the miracles to begin to happen. When you put yourself into this kind of situation, things happen. Miracle number one happened. All-Star Family Sports Arena, which you're in right now. You're actually sitting on a, on a, a, a inline skate hockey surface right below the carpet and the tile. All-Star Family Sports Arena is secretly on the market. The location is fantastic. It's 67,000 square feet. Unfathomably huge. Even though there isn't any green space, there's a mudslide out back, but there isn't any green space. And we, but we do have a 365-day-and-night athletic field. Nice. It's climate-controlled. They're asking $3 million. And that's before any remodeling occurred. And believe me, it was in need of remodeling. Our best guess is that all of us few could just scrape together in our wildest dreams would maybe be a million dollars. So we're not even in the ballpark on being able to put this thing together. Miracle number two, we find a saint of a banker who is willing to work with us. Bank of America's Ed Schober is one of the premier national church loan experts. He knows how to loan to churches and nobody else does. He goes around teaching the rest of Bank of America how to loan to churches. And he's here in town. Miracle number three, Tim Barr, a Lakelander and a real estate, I'm going to call him a mogul, real estate expert, financial guru, saves my hiney with the bankers. The banks wouldn't do a deal with me, and they wouldn't do a deal with you either, or any church for that matter, uh, except for having Ed Schober and Tim Barr, when his financial smarts and savvy, and so I sat there at the meetings and kind of nodded my head and you know, was told to keep my mouth shut mostly. Don't say anything, it would mess it up. 
Long story short, the seller comes down to $2.3 million, and the bank makes multiple exceptions to underwrite its, in its underwriting policies, and we have a deal on the table. Now all we need is the beer, biggest miracle of all. June 6, 2004, this church promises to God $2,445,522 dollars this pledge amount is the top record nationally for all churches of our size. Nobody comes close. People pledged incredibly. We didn't expect this much. We didn't put up a big fundraising thermometer, you know, or anywhere. We didn't have any place to put it up anyway. We didn't even think to pray about what amount to have. We were just too garsh. What do we do? God just did it. And I, so, I hope you understand what, what, what transpired here. So allow me to repeat. There is no strong rational reason why you and I are in this place today except for the grace of God from the hand of the giver and people willing to take up their chains and do what was necessary. Twenty years later, I have to ask, why should God give us this incredible ministry resource? Why? I don't think we earned it. I don't think we deserved it. No, I believe God gave us this property as a tool, as a throwdown challenge to say, become the people you're supposed to be, not because you're already those people. You have been faithful in small things. Now I'm going to see what you can really do. I believe the Father sees even greater potential in us. And that's why we have this place. Jesus taught us that if you take some risks, you'll be even given greater responsibilities. Faithful in small things, I'll put you in charge of larger things. Chains, everyone. Chains. For the last 26 years, many of us have worn our symbolic chains so that the hope and the love of Jesus Christ would move forward in this thing called Lakeland Community Church. And when followers of Jesus Christ take huge risks for the sake of Jesus, the love of God goes out and changes the world during our one lifetime. If the risk is small, there is little response. If the risk is big, there's a larger response. And since this church picked up those chains, and we've raised somewhere around over $8 million over the years, beyond, beyond our general operating budgets around here, which just keeps the lights on, pays the staff, and all that sort of thing. Eight million beyond the general giving for a church our size. All of it started with this facility, this ministry tool, this thing that said it's not about us, it's about somebody else. So many people will never know what people have sacrificed around here that we'll spend eternity with. That the left hand not know what the right hand is doing, as Jesus said on Sermon on the Mount. For new believers in China, persecuted and imprisoned, for our under-resourced east side in Kansas City, we put our money where our mouth is, we rescue women from the sex trafficking, we provide homes for the, in the forgotten uh, back countries, back hills of Jamaica, young women in Liberia slowly dying, on and on and on people we have never met we've picked up our chains and we said we're going to do it 
and we just give money away. Over the next few years, the first generation of Lakelanders who took up those chains inspired by Paul, those first Lakelanders, they're going to hand over the keys of this church to another generation. And it's already started. And the next generation, you will have one of two big choices. You may either grasp the chains God has revealed to you and become the people of the cross of Jesus Christ as ones who are fearless, laser-focused, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ as you see fit and as you are gifted and as you are called. Or you can take it easy and rest on what somebody else has done and live in a comfortable church, a self-centered church, and a church that just doesn't really require much sacrifice. A church that for all practical purposes becomes optional. Now, you may be listening to me and you're thinking like, man, that old pastor dude, he's kind of scary and uh, I don't think he's all that safe. And I would agree with you. I am not safe. I'm not safe at all. I agree because I have the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer ringing in my head, running through my mind. When Christ called a man, he bid him come and die. I have the words of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. ringing in my ears when he says from a prison cell in Birmingham, and he says, perhaps it's easy for those who have never felt the stinging dark of segregation to say, wait, because the pastors all around him were telling him to wait. And he goes on. But when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to the public amusement park that has just been advertised on television and you see tears welling up in her eyes when she is told that Fun Town is closed to colored children and see ominous clouds of inferiority beginning to form in her little mental sky and see her beginning to distort her personality by developing an unconscious bitterness towards white people when you have concocted an answer for your five-year-old who's asking, Daddy, why do white people treat colored people so mean? I have that in my head. And I think... I have a price to pay. I have been called to something greater than myself. And you have too. And I have in my mind this vision of a banquet table in heaven with Jesus at the head of the table raising his glass and there around that magnificent table is an ocean of faces from every generation and every race, every tongue and every class. And I am told, know as many faces in this crowd as you can. And then I know what I've been called to do, and I ask you to seek Jesus' calling upon your life as well and to join me in that ocean of faces that have gone on to change the world like no other organization has in the history of humanity the church of Jesus Christ. What must you do with your one life? We are called out, everyone. We are called out. We move forward together. We are sent. And it is our scars that tell us who we are and where we must go. It's your hard times that define your future. 
and make you a life-changing, a world-changing person. Those who pay a price do great good in the world. They change the world. Paul and his chains, Jesus on his cross, and all of us with our own wounds and trials, and that propels us into a different place if we respond with Jesus. Everyone here has a story to tell. Everyone here is called to make a difference. In this sacrifice, there is a joy. There is a joy, a deeper happiness that we know what we do with our life matters. That our lives count, that we make a difference. This is how I read Paul in his prison cell with his chains. The most joyous letter in the Bible is written by a guy in chains. The most inspirational letter in the Bible is written by a man in chains. There is a deeper joy than just simply being comfortable out there that will be more soul-satisfying than you, can, you and I can ever even imagine. That's what we're being called to. So it isn't surprising that every Sunday we are called once again to remember the lives that are hidden in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is our food and our drink. The sacrament of the Lord's table reminds us of who we feed upon. It reminds us of where we get our nourishment, of what we belong to. And then it sends us back out into the world to be salt and light. And then we wash back in again every week on the first day of the week on Sunday. We are fed again spiritually with our symbol with each other we are reminded of who we are and we are sent back out we're not coasting we're driven and we find that scripture Isaiah 52 how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace and who brings good news who announces salvation who says to Zion your God reigns how, feet, how, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's your feet when you walk out of here all week long. You are the bringer of good news. That's who we are. I'm just here to remind you and myself that that's what we're all about. Amen.